the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Today, we're going to talk about curiosity with two professors who have written a book about what makes us curious and where that curiosity leads us, both internally and out in the world, where we build relationships through the active engagement of our brains in the unknown. We'll also hear from you about what makes you curious and how that quality enhances your life. That's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host. And as always, I'm really glad that you have joined us. I'm especially glad that you've joined us here on Election Day, which we have been working up to for several months here, of course, in Southeast Michigan, in the state and around the country, but especially here on the show where we have made every effort to give listeners a real close-up look at the candidates who are on the ballot, the issues uh, that are on the ballot. And now the day is finally here. It's election day. And that means go vote, go vote, go vote. I know it doesn't always seem like your vote matters, uh, that there is an actual consequence that uh, follows casting a ballot. But believe me, there really is. And especially in Michigan right now, your vote has an enormous impact. This is an important election. It is a close election. And we will get the best results in one way or another if more and more people participate. Uh, Our government reflects the choices we make on Election Day. So uh, if you care about the issues, if you care about one issue, if you care about a candidate or all of the candidates, the way you express that is by voting. So go vote, make a decision about our future, and think of the impact it will have on all of us. Now, let's get to today's show. You know, when people ask me about my work as a journalist, and specifically about my work here on Detroit Today, and they say, well, what what makes it interesting to you? Why do you do this? I always start with the idea of curiosity. I'm intensely curious about a really wide range of things. And that allows me to have really good conversations with just about anybody. I can talk with people about subjects I don't know an awful lot about. I can talk with people who have ideas that uh, I might find bizarre or offensive because at the root of all of it, I'm really curious. Why do you think that? Where did you get that? How did you come to this idea of what you're talking about? And I think that's not an uncommon trait. There are things that all of us are just dying to know more about. 
There are all kinds of things that we want to engage with somebody else about to learn more about what it is. And when we're in that mindset, when we are curious, we're not just seeking facts or a singular truth. We are seeking connections. We're looking to weave information together into a web, often drawing us closer to what we're looking for and to other people who are doing the same. At the root of this curiosity lies an active process of building these connections, creating relationships in the outer world that mirror those we're stringing together in our own minds. Think about what we do every day right here on Detroit Today. All of us who participate in this forum, we're all really curious. In a new book called Curious Minds, Twin siblings and professors Perry Zern and Danny Bassett uh, navigate the process of exploration that many of us so excitedly partake in every day. And their book brings up many questions. How can we be more curious? What are ways to open ourselves to different perspectives and ideas that connect us with more perspectives and ideas? Curiosity is an active stance on this show, of course, and it's something that we are always trying to encourage and improve upon. So it made a lot of sense to us to invite Danny Bassett and Perry Zern to come talk with us. Danny and Perry, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having us. Perry, I want to start with you. So let's define curiosity and define what it looks like in action. What does it mean to be truly curious. Yeah, so I think it's important here to, to take the long view and to, and to sort of know that for thousands of years, curiosity has really been thought of in one particular way, and that is as the um, drive to acquire new bits of information. So if, if you look at, you know, texts that are thousands of years old, and then if you look at contemporary psychology and neuroscience, you will often see this, this definition deployed. Uh, curiosity is this desire um, to acquire, to grab, to grasp, to understand new bits of information. And while that perspective has been really helpful, we argue in the book that it misses something really crucial about what curiosity does, and that is that curiosity isn't just about acquisition of knowledge. It's about making connections. It's about building webs of knowledge and webs of relationships. And that connective capacity has a lot of implications for not only the study of curiosity and the study of the mind, uh, but also for how we do things like set up our workplaces or our educational classrooms or our friendships even. And when we talk about uh, this curiosity, you you define this as having three types of curiosity or curious people, the hunter, the dancer, and the busybody. I think those are really interesting categories, but let's talk about what these types are and uh, and how they operate in the world, Perry. Sure. So I was, you know, going back and thinking about the definitions of curiosity, and I started to get stuck while I was doing my sort of historical research and started to ask myself instead, how does... Uh, um, kind of classical philosophy, history, literature, how does it describe curiosity? Not define it, but describe it. What does it look like in action? And these uh, styles really came forward 
kind of uh, front and center for me as I was doing that research. So the busybody is someone who is interested in all kinds of information, right? Is willing to go down any rabbit trail, hear any story, uh, go experience anything in the world. They're just, you know, they have lots of tabs open in the computer. They're, they're a wide open book in that sense. The hunter is much more focused and really wants to know a lot or maybe everything about just one or two things. So they're, they're very kind of centralized and they tend to build their knowledge in really tight interconnections. And then the third style is the dancer. And the dancer is someone who is very creative when it comes to their curiosity. They're not really interested in finding out what 2 plus 2 plus 2 plus 2 is, but instead they're interested in saying, okay, let's take these two things that have never been thought together, never been put together, um, never been in the same room, and let's see what happens when we bring them together. So this person tends to be really interdisciplinary, really take a lot of risks, be more imaginative, um, so that's the third style of dancer. And how do we become one of those or many of those? As you were describing each type, I kind of saw a little bit of myself maybe in in all three. But is there an active process that defines us as one of these things? Or is this an innate characteristic as well? Yeah, I mean, the evidence seems to indicate that um, – it may, these may be a little bit more like personality types so that you might just be, you might just tend to be one of the three of these most of the time. But we also see a lot of evidence that you can practice each style just like you would do exercises, you know. Um, so each of us has the capacity to, to practice any of these three types of curiosities, even if we naturally tend toward one or the other. Yeah. Um, Danny, uh, before we get deeper into this, I, I, I want to stop and ask about what made the two of you curious. You're both professors and cur- clearly curious about the sciences and philosophy. Uh, what prompted that? And, and tell us about the environment that uh, you grew up in that led you to this. Sure, absolutely. Um, So when we were growing up, we were homeschooled by our mom from when we were four to when we went to college. And um, our mom had a very particular uh, pattern or or way of educating. She was very interested in self-driven learning. So she would ask us at the beginning of every semester what sort of topic we wanted to study. Um, And then she would find materials that would uh, allow us to study that topic. And she did it in a very interdisciplinary way. So for example, if the topic was mushrooms, she would find um, work about uh, the history of of um, finding mushrooms, the art of mushrooms, um, language poems about mushrooms, and she would combine all of these different disciplines together uh, to allow us to have a, a broader perspective on the topic. So I raise that because I think that she, um, there are two fat features of her education that have stuck with us. One is this self-driven nature. I mean, I think that partially explains why we went into research because we sort of grew up in, <laughs> in a way on research. And then secondly, that she focused on these interdisciplinary narratives about topics, which is what Perry and I um, tend to do now in our work as well. Yeah, yeah. Were there periods in uh, your lives where you were more curious than in other periods? I know that when we're kids, of course, we're constantly seeking things and information and understanding. Does that remain with us or Danny does it start to wane at some point in our lives 
That's a really good question. And I think that there are multiple answers. Actually, Perry has a, a lot to say about curiosity and education. Um, but I do think from my own experience that the sort of curiosity that I've had has changed over the years. I think when I was an undergraduate, I took a lot of elective classes and was much more busybody like. Um, I think that as I moved into the first few years of my professorship, I was more hunter like and focused specifically on the discipline that I was trying to um, to work in. And, and now that I'm a full professor, I think I'm turning back to being slightly more busybody like <laughs> um, and, and taking classes uh, on my own for fun um, to just expand my horizons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Danny, I want to have you talk some about what goes on in our brains when we're being curious. What kind of networks are being connected? What kind of nodes are, are meeting? There is something quite scientific about the way our brains interact with this this feeling I guess or this this impulse um, what, what what does curiosity look like inside our heads yeah that's a really good question so I think I want to answer it in two different ways um, one is that those styles of curiosity that Perry described earlier are ones that um, we actually see when people are browsing Wikipedia for example. Um, so we can watch people browse Wikipedia and watch how they move from web page to web page. And we can see that some people browse in this very um, busybody like fashion, moving from a web page to another one that's very different. Um, or we can see uh, people who are more hunter like and are um, focusing on on one particular area. So these styles that that Perry has excavated from history are also present and alive and well today. But your sec the second way I want to answer that question is um, about the specific neural signatures that are involved. Um, I think that the uh, prior hypotheses were surrounded the idea that there's one particular area of the brain that is the curiosity area. And so then if you're curious um, and somebody takes an MRI of your brain, you should be able to see that there's one area that lights up. But over the last couple of decades, it's become very clear through the scientific research that there's a whole set of regions that are activated when we are curious. There's not one curiosity area. Mm. So this is very different from say um, our our capacity for vision or for um, auditory processing, which are more localized. Curiosity is different. It, it activates this whole set of areas that are involved in, um, in motivation, in generating or imagining new things, and then in evaluating those imaginative uh, ideas. And the work at the moment in science is trying to, to parse that complexity and figure out which of the pieces of the brain are related to which um, sub-process of curiosity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've decided to tune in. Our guests today are Perry Zern, who's an associate professor of philosophy at American University. He's the author, co-author of Curious Minds, The Power of Connection. Also with us is Danny Bassett, professor of bioengineering at the University of Pennsylvania, and they are the co-author of Curious Minds, The Power of Connection as well. We're talking about curiosity, what it is, what it looks like, uh, and what it brings us uh, when we are curious. If we lead curious lives, 
what does that look like? What does that make us feel like? Uh, what are the things that we are able not just to learn from curiosity, but able to experience because we are curious? Uh, we want to hear from you, of course, during the conversation as well. What are you curious about? Is it science? Is it politics? Is it the arts? Is it some combination of those things or or all of them and more? Uh, what gives you the drive to be curious about things? Uh, what allows or enables that curiosity? Uh, we want to hear your story about how you came to develop a knack for something maybe through your curiosity or another way that your life is different because uh, you are open to being curious about uh, lots of things. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation that way. Perry, uh, before we get to our listeners, uh, I want to have you talk some about what philosophers say about curiosity. What do they understand it to be? How, how do they define it? I think that um, one of the best ways in which uh, philosophers have thought about curiosity is as a, um, an, a kind of a prompting to pause in our world, right? So we're rushing and rushing and rushing around. We have lots of things going on all the time. Um, and it's, and it's, it kind of, it's kind of rare sometimes for us to be able to get curious in a way in which we can really weave together kind of a new fabric of knowledge, whether that's kind of in our own mind or with other people in, in kind of community settings. More often than not, right, I think a lot of us kind of take paths that have already been carved out for us or answers that have already been handed down to us, right, and that's a little bit easy, easier to just implement those in our lives. So in order to get curious, one of the things that we need to do is we need to pause. We need to have moments where things slow down a bit, and we can actually turn an attentiveness and a listening, not just of our ears, but of our whole body and of our lives, to things that we don't yet understand, or to people we don't yet understand. Um, and that, that kind of pause is, I think, one of the one of the things philosophers are, are really great at. I think this is something that marks great philosophical thought, is the ability to pause and get curious. Um, about some of those things that might be hidden away. Mm. It seems in some ways like our culture right now, and especially our politics, work in the opposite way. I mean, if you go yeah. to social media in particular, there's no there's no pausing there. And, and it seems as though uh, uh, maybe if people uh, made more of an effort to pause before they said something, um, you know, the quality of the dialogue... Uh, might might be better. Um, I, I wonder what you make of of the external influences, I guess, on that instinct to pause, and whether I guess maybe it's harder to do it now than than in the past. Yeah, I, I, I do think that that a lot of the pressures about living in the U.S. today uh, do make it harder. I, I think sometimes some of us might feel um, like we're white. White water rafting, in a sense, right? Just the, the the amount of information and the and the pace in which we make our decisions and we have our communications and we have our discussions and we move on to a decision. We do this, we do that. Um, I do think it may it leaves little room for a kind of um, placid moment in which we can actually assess our context and ask bigger questions about 
how our decisions will affect each other, how it will affect the globe, how it will affect the earth, things like this. So um, I do think that the pressures right now are unique in some way um, to our moment and that they, they are not particularly conducive to the kind of curiosity that is this connective activity we're discussing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue discussing curiosity, what it is, what it looks like, what it feels like, and how we lead more curious lives. Uh, We'll also get going with you on the phones and on Twitter, Terry in Detroit, Ken in Troy. You're going to be up first. If you want to join them on the phones, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today and we'll work you into the conversation we'll be right back with more detroit today WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking today about curiosity, uh, what curiosity is, how we can be more curious, and what curiosity actually brings us. Uh, We've got two great guests to discuss it. Perry Zern is an associate professor of philosophy at American University, and Danny Bassett is a professor of bioengineering at University of Pennsylvania. Together, they are the co-authors of a book called Curious Minds, The Power of Connection. We want to hear from you about uh, the role that curiosity plays in your life. Uh, Are you somebody who finds uh, not just information and learning through curiosity, but experience and connection? Is it a way that you build your social circles and your community uh, through curiosity? Uh, Tell us what that curiosity brings you, uh, where you get it, but also how it makes your life uh, really different than it would otherwise. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and we can work you into the conversation that way. Let's start today with Terry in Detroit. Terry, welcome to the show. Uh, Good morning, Stephen. Happy Election Day. Happy Election Day. (laughs) Yeah, what a wonderful conversation you've got going on this morning. Um, I have tended to think of curiosity as an attitude. I I feel like it's a disposition that people have, but I really love this idea of a hunter, a busy bee, dancer I'm not so sure about, but um, I love this idea that people sort of have tendencies to either want to go deep into subject matters or just kind of go across the board and a lot of different things. Um, But I I tend to think of it as an attitude, and I'm wondering what your two guests Hmm. Um, would say about that. Yeah, that's a, it's a great question, uh, Terry, and I really appreciate the call and the question. Uh, Danny, we'll start with you. What uh, What's the answer to Terry's question here? 
Yeah, it's a really great question, Terry. Um, I think that the the question that we are focusing on is the sort of um, the actual actions that people are taking uh, part in when they are curious. And so that's a slightly different um, part of the cognitive process than an attitude. Um, so I think what we're interested in is, you know, the the way our minds move when we are curious uh, and the and we want to emphasize the fact that our minds are moving in really different ways. And while Perry and I talk about these three styles, the busybody, the hunter and the dancer, um, we also recognize that they might be, not be the only styles that people engage in. In fact, at the end of the book, we have what we call a curious bestiary where we have 18 different beasts and their styles of curiosity. So we really think of it more as a menagerie Hmm. Um, of styles that people could engage in um, and and make knowledge from. Yeah, uh, Perry, uh, what's your reaction to to Terry's question? Yeah, I love I love it. I mean, I think that it's true. We do focus uh, on what what curiosity looks like when it's in action um, throughout the book. But I do also think that there's an attitudinal dimension to curiosity. Absolutely, what really matters for us is that curiosity not be thought of in one way, right? And so that if you don't have a stereotypical, you know, you ask lots of questions, you're always raising your hand, you're always, you know, being nosy or something like this. If you don't have the stereotypical things, then you're not really curious. And that That is just, that's the thing we don't uh, think is actually true, right? And so what part of the styles and then the, and then the beast theory, is, all of this is to try to expand uh, not only what we understand of as curious behaviors, but also I would say curious attitudes as well. Um, yeah, I, re- I really love that. Mm. So I wonder if I can get the two of you to talk just a little about how, um, how, how we can enhance curiosity or make it more common in our lives if we're, if we're somewhat curious or maybe don't feel like we're curious enough. What is it that uh, that we change either internally or or externally that that makes us uh, lean a little more into that into that space so that we can uh, get these experiences uh, back. Perry, I'll start with you this time. I think that one of the things that slows down our curiosity is when we um, take when we build our lives around answers we already have, basically. Mm. Um, so when we build our lives around answers we already have, there doesn't seem to be a prompt for us to get curious about things. Um, but if we can take a moment, again, do that kind of pausing and think, all right, not everything that I've, I've sort of just assumed to be true or lived as if it were true is necessarily true. Um, we all, you know, we, un- we all live in this world that has been co-created over hundreds of years, right? We've inherited historical attitudes. Um, and cultural practices and perspectives and values, and just realizing that our uh, our minds are already saturated in that social context, and that means there's all kinds of things we could think that people haven't thought before, right? And, or ways we could live that people haven't lived before, and especially in this moment, I'm talking about you know politics today, but but also I think the, the climate change and things like this. We need that kind of opening up and getting new ideas and really like going back to the drawing board. That's the kind of thinking that we need um, right now. And, and that means not necessarily holding answers as sacred, really. Mm. Uh, Danny, how, how do we 
get more curious? Uh, how do we be more curious in, uh, in our lives? Yeah, I really liked your point that perhaps some of us don't feel very curious. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the points that we tried to make in the book is to sort of get curious about your own curiosity, that perhaps you have a style of curiosity that's not like what you see in other people or not like what has been valued in classrooms or in committee meeting rooms or elsewhere. Um, and So, for example, I was talking to a student the other day who felt like when he reads, uh, he needs to you know, finish one book before he starts another one. And, uh, but that keeps him from reading because he doesn't get committed enough to one book. And I said, well, you know, maybe it's the case that you want to read 10 minutes of this book and then 10 minutes of that book and 10 minutes of the next book. And maybe that's what the kind of curiosity that you have. Um, And his eyes got really wide and he was like, that's exactly what I am. (laughs) Uh, So I just think that it's important to to recognize uh, that we may all be evincing or having kinds of curiosity inside us that we're squelching um, because they are not uh, common or they're not what um, structures around us have valued. So I would just say sort of get a little bit curious about yourself. Right, right. Uh, Great advice. Uh, Let's go back to the phones here. Ken in Troy, you're up next. Ken, what's on your mind? Yeah, I, I am. I am uh, kind of. I'm. I'm a very curious person. I, I think I got five books going right now. But um, <laughs> wow, five books! I'm My goodness. Yeah, sure. But but anyways, um, it, it seems like there is an element in, when we talk about attitudes here that 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 involves your own humility. Uh, you have to be willing to admit that you don't know things. And, and we, we have to admit it both on an individual level and on a societal level that, that there are these things that we don't know yet and that, and that and, you know, we have to accept that we're sort of on the leading edge, edge of ignorance all the time. Uh, um, can, yeah, go ahead, Ken. Well, well and, and, I mean, the, my, my question is, um, I'm curious to know uh, how the two professors feel about, about uh, the sort of uh, current attitude culturally of anti-intellectualism. And this notion that uh, you know that the somehow intellectual elites are are bad, and that and that you know curiosity or or the the uh, desire to educate ourselves is is somehow unattractive. Yeah. Um, I, I I find that I mean it, it seems to be something that happens cyclically in our culture, and I'm curious to know how they feel about that. Yeah, no, it's a great question, uh, Ken, and I think a lot of us are experiencing that uh, pretty pretty frequently in conversations uh, Danny what what is the the influence of this kind of pushback against uh, curiosity and and inquiry that that we see not just in politics but I think in the in the broader culture yeah I think that um, those those forces that are pushing back against curiosity are, are sort of social and political forces. Um, and I think that that probably lies very strongly in, in Perry's area of expertise. He has another book that's called Curiosity and Power, um, which really focuses on these relationships between curiosity and um, power structures or, or political narratives and political resistance. Maybe he can talk about that. But I do, um, I did want to mention that 
your point about intellectual humility is so important. Um, so there's a, a lot of scientific research focusing on intellectual humility and also openness to ideas. Um, and there are really interesting relationships between someone's openness to ideas, someone's intellectual humility and their curiosity um, and also sort of their their general well-being or flourishing. Uh, so that's an area of, of work in science that people are, are focusing on to try to understand the neural underpinnings of. Yeah. Uh, uh, Perry, uh, I, I'm also curious about what you see in the higher ed context with curiosity and and the idea of, uh, of of inquiry. I mean, young people today are are growing up in this culture where there's kind of an anti-intellectualism. There's uh, there's a, a pressure to be certain about everything you say before you say it and to believe very strongly in in everything. I wonder if that shows up uh, in academia. Absolutely, it does. Um, and I would say just to, to Danny's point that, that my previous book, Curiosity and Power, does, does really make the argument that you can't tell the story of politics without telling the story of curiosity and vice versa. Um, so if you want more on that kind of thread, definitely um, pick up that book. But um, yeah, you know, I think that I think that this desire to be right and to have the right answer and not to have to think about it and not to practice a certain humility, I think it's something that marks honestly both kind of sides of the fence, both both sides of polarization, political polarization here. I mean, we see it a lot in our in our very liberal students um, who have decided they, they do know um, the answers to the most pressing questions and the proper th ways to talk about them and the proper things to think about them. And I think there's a there's a loss, uh, no matter which way you go, whatever your political leanings are, there's a loss if you can't uh, come at a conversation and come at your life um, in a way that that is humble and that 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 does live on that that leading edge of ignorance, as as the caller said, um, I think that's a wonderful wonderful frame. And you know, honestly, I also don't think that intellectuals or university professors always do themselves a service in the way that they talk about or talk with um, people who are are would not identify as sort of intellectuals or or associated with the university or the colleges. Um, I think that I think we. I think we need to de-jargon a lot of what we talk about. I think we need to get real. and Sometimes we need to get simple. So truth doesn't have to be convoluted, doesn't have to be complex. It does have to be nuanced. Um, but it can also be really, really simple. And we can get to the, the heart of matters together in a way that doesn't have to be dressed up in uh, scholarly literatures. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to take another quick break, and uh, when we come back, we'll continue talking about curiosity with uh, the two professors who have joined us, and with you, uh, Charlie in North Oakland County, Anka in Royal Oak, Phyllis and Warren. We'll get to you next if you want to join them on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we can try to include you in the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This 
is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, I'm glad you've tuned in. Our guest today, our Perry Zern, an associate professor of philosophy at American University. He's the co-author of Curious Minds, The Power of Connection. Also with us is Danny Bassett, a professor of bioengineering at uh, University of Pennsylvania. They are the co-author of Curious Minds, The Power of Connection as well. And we are talking with both of them about curiosity and the role it plays in uh, our lives, not just in acquiring information and learning, but uh, in changing the way we think about things and changing the way we experience each other, how we build relationships in community. We want to hear from you as well on the phones, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag us, and we'll work into the conversation uh, that way. Uh, Eric on Twitter says, my curiosity was prompted as a child when my dad composed a library of various subjects. I became interested in strange phenomena, including Bigfoot, UFOs, etc. In Search Of used to be a favorite program. I remember that uh, television program. He says, now I'm a genealogist, historian, and author, always seeking information. Uh, Electric Mitten says, yes, saying I don't know is powerful and makes us want to know more. That should not be seen as taboo. Trying something new and being surrounded by veteran experts can be intimidating too, or it can be fun if it's seen as a fascinating new door to open. Uh, let's go back to the phones here and go to Charlie in North Oakland County. Charlie, welcome to the yeah. show. Go ahead. Uh, Hi, Stephen. Thanks for taking my call. Mm -hmm. It's been a while. Um, I just was curious to know if uh, curiosity is something that can be taught or inculcated or if it's just something innate you're born with or not. Yeah, great question, uh, Perry. We talked a little about uh, about this earlier, but uh, but can we be teaching people to be more curious? And how do we, how do we do that, especially when they're young? Yeah, so for us, we um, we assume that people are born with curiosity, that this marks not only humans, but also um, all creatures in the world, really. Um, we All of us explore, experiment in some way, um, search for things. So I, I, I do think that that's just a fact of, of our existence, but that doesn't mean that our curiosity stays strong or stays vibrant, right, just because we might be born with it. And so I do think it's really important to think about what happens when kids go to school, for example, or, you know, kids are, are, are at home. How is their curiosity not necessarily being taught, but how is it being facilitated? How is it being nurtured and supported? Um, that's where we need to be focusing our energy, really. Yeah. Uh, Danny, uh, what about the, that teaching and leading people to the idea of curiosity? Yeah, um, I really think that it's also important to raise the topic of mentoring here because it's possible for us to um, support someone's curiosity as a parent or as a teacher, but we can also mentor one another in curiosity or be mentors for the other person. So when I think about um, the close friends in my life or um, colleagues that I have who I respect um, really strongly, I think about the kind of curiosity that they show, the curiosity about um, the world, about their scholarly work, about their 
uh, emotional well-being or existence, about their mental health. And I, I think through what are the parts of that curiosity that I want to emulate as well. So um, I think the curiosity is something that we can support in one another, even as friends. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, really appreciate the call and the question. Let's go next to Jim in Waterford. Jim, welcome to the show. Hi there. Hey. Uh, I was I was a high school biology teacher for 37 years, wow. and uh, I loved it. My best memories and best results came with the at-risk kids, the kids that were at risk of dropping out of school, uh, mainly because, as I thought, they were disrespected for a whole lot of reasons. They they would uh, they had something about them that people didn't like, and so they didn't try a whole lot. Uh, what I found was you're talking about I don't know that was something that I used all the time I don't know a whole lot about biology I mean I've got two degrees in it but there's I I don't know less than I know Uh, and when a kid says I don't know everybody looks at them and snickers and says they're dumb Mm. I would say I don't know and say that doesn't make me dumb it just means that I need to go look something up or learn something. And we used a lot of discrepancy events. You're talking about curiosity. Discrepancy events are things that you see happen, but it shouldn't. And in science, you've got all kinds of science magic type things where things don't work quite like you expected. And we would never tell them what how this worked and uh, said, you go figure it out. But don't tell the next guy because that'll interfere with his learning. And they became extremely curious and extremely wonderful kids to teach to the point that uh, we kind of underhandedly compared our students to uh, the honors program. And they beat the honors program on a test, Hmm. on the hardest test, by four percentage points which upset some folks, but uh, we, we tend to cancel it, uh, curiosity by saying this is how it is and this is how it's going to be, and, you know, and no, let, let them learn. Let them, let them play games. Yeah. I drive my wife crazy. <laughs> uh, Jim, I really love I really love the call and uh, you sharing that experience. Uh, uh, Perry and Danny, while he was talking, I was thinking about uh, the references that uh, you guys make in the book to Mississippi Freedom Schools and what they did to foster curiosity. Who wants Who wants to talk about that? Yeah, I can jump in here. So Mississippi Freedom Schools um, were founded in the 1960s and really targeted especially black high schoolers, but also um, white high schoolers, to just to have a chance to ask questions about what their actual lives um, were, were, were facing, right? And, and what, what does segregation actually look like? And where is it actually coming from? And how does it play out when you go to the store, or when you buy a house, or when you um, go to school? And what, like all of the ways in which um, racism in the U.S. was kind of excluded from and not talked about in school at the time became central to the Mississippi Freedom Schools curriculum. And it was just, it was this kind of, it shows that learning doesn't just happen in schools. And maybe the most important learning 
happens on the periphery of schools, in a sense. And that might be precisely what, you know, the caller is talking about. If you have a group of aspirant students, they're already on the edge, right? Mm-hmm. They're already not the thing that the school is touting is this is what education looks like. But that might be precisely where some of the most vibrant forms of question asking and curiosity happen. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a wonderful story, uh, Jim. That uh, that you that you told. And I'm really glad that you called uh, and had shared that with the listeners today. Uh, let's go next to Anka in Royal Oak. Anka, welcome to the show. Yeah, hi. Good morning, and happy hi. election day, everyone. Happy election uh, day to you. Sure, do wish it was our uh, paid vacation day off. <laughs> uh, I'm very. We're working very, on that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Hey, I'm very interested in. Um, the subject here, um, because I have contacts and connections and friends, I like to say, across a wide swath of people, you know, uh, very divergent. Sometimes I'm like the only one. I'm on the uh, the connection between everyone. I'm interested in how curiosity plays with attention span uh, and patience and discipline and um, subject choices in education. Um, and I, I kind of disagree with the statement that was made about there seems to be a pressure for accuracy hmm. um, today. I find that that's extraordinarily limited to a smaller percentage of the population than I think it used to be, and I think it's kind of self-explanatory. We can look at the news, we can look at the interest in people, and, um, you know, a lot of falseness out there, hmm. Everybody, you know. Um, the other thing I'm interested in uh, well here let me ex- let me explain it like this when I talk about the subject let's say I go to a soiree I meet ten people out of two of those people I can talk about something that interests me like Detroit Today WDET and NPR and Stephen Henderson and whatever your guests are and the other people will be very uh, involved in a conversation about the Kardashians and they'll think that what mm. we're talking about is boring. Mm. And then, you know, we're looking at what they're talking about, and it's pretty innate. Um, so you see, you, you want to comment about that? Um, you, you see know, a, I mean, a gap, I guess, is what you're pointing out, Anka, right? In and, of... and is that a, a gap from, you know, like you were talking about it, uh, mentoring, all right, and educators? I came from the South Lake School District in Wayne State University. I am a proud Tartar, and I can tell you that, with the exception of one instructor in my life who I understand where they come from. I had nothing but fantastic people that always encouraged education, and so did my parents. Yeah. Uh, Anka, I really appreciate the call and uh, the question, this this idea of the gap in curiosity. Uh, I, I love your example of being at a party talking about politics or NPR or something like that and, and having somebody else there who's more curious about uh, the Kardashians, or maybe Kanye, or something like that. That's a. Uh, it's an interesting. It's an interesting way to drill down on this. Uh, Perry, what's what's your reaction to that? That dynamic. This idea that uh, the people may be curious about different things, and that uh, that separates them. It doesn't necessarily bring them together. Yeah, we talk about this in the book um, as a kind of world. So I think that there are different worlds of knowledge in which a lot of us might circulate and not others. And when we're, we might, you know, hang out together at a party, for example, and start building more knowledge in that world that that makes sense and that we're invested in, 
but it might be very different from the world that somebody else and some other group of people is uh, building together with their curiosity. So not only do we have to appreciate that there are these different what we call networks of knowledge, but we also need to start thinking about what does it mean to sort of travel to each other's world there or, or to build bridges or to build edges between those networks. And how do we do that in ways that appreciate our differences um, as much as our similarities, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, Danny, there's there's an inherent uh, kind of conflict, I think, in in uh, in the culture right now about this idea of what matters and what's important. And, and I see people fighting on social media all the time about whether to pay attention to Kanye or Kyrie Irving or the Kardashians and saying, ah, I'm not going to do this because uh, there are other things that are much more important. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, I think that we all do make choices about how we want to spend our time and how much we will sp- time we will spend being curious in one area versus another area. Um, and that's a personal choice. I also think, though, that if we it's always useful to question ourselves if we are dismissing an area as as not interesting um, and, and choosing not to be curious about it, just to ask is that are we doing that in a way um, that is benefiting society or not benefiting society? And as a example, um, we talk in the book about Robin Kimmerer, um, who is an indigenous scholar who wrote Braiding Sweetgrass and actually just won a MacArthur Fellowship this year. And when she went to school, she was really interested in understanding why um, asters and goldenrod look so beautiful together. So it's this like periwinkle color and this golden color together. She wanted to know why they look beautiful together. So she decided to major in botany. And her teachers told her that um, that isn't the sort of question that you ask in botany. um, Mm. And that question is not valuable. Um, Luckily, she's stuck with it. Um, (laughs) And but I think that it's just important to, to ask ourselves sometimes, you know, is the are we dismissing a set of questions or an area as not valuable or not important? And if we are, are we doing the right thing by dismissing it, or are we just being narrow-minded? Um, so I think it's it's just important, I think, to expand our understanding of what, why and how we're listening to other people's questions. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Perry Zern and Danny Bassett. It was really great to have both of you here to talk about curiosity and uh, to delve a little more into this wonderful book you've written. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having us. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Again, the gentle reminder that it is Election Day and that uh, if you have not already voted, uh, you should be uh, planning to do that, figuring out when you will get to the polls. Come back tomorrow when we are going to talk with a number of reporters about uh, what we know from the results of the election today. Also, keep in mind that uh, sometimes it takes a while to count all the votes and make sure that uh, the count is right before it gets announced. Don't get frustrated if you're up late tonight and don't know the outcome of uh, everything. Just come back here tomorrow and we'll talk about it. We're also planning to do our 7 o'clock replay of the show live tomorrow uh, so that we can talk even more about what we learned during the day. So big day tomorrow after all the voting happens today.
This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.